special edition of the Directors Club Podcast. Yet another bonus episode here featuring yours truly, Jim Laskowski, joined live in-house with two of my favorite critics, as well as friends to the show. You might remember this man, Eric Childress, from the controversial Robert Zemeckis episode, as well as the second most downloaded episode, Christopher Nolan. Welcome back, Eric. Thank you very much. Also joining us is filmmaker and former guest as well. Uh, you join me for David Gordon Green and Joe Dante, but later this year you're going to be joining me to talk about the one and only George Miller. Hello again, Colin. Hello, Col- Colin Suter. Yes, yes. and we are literally in house in a house. Yes, ah. yes, recording my house. This is not <laughs> Skype. Now we both. Now you, you you admitted one thing. Eric and I both contributed to your Steven Spielberg episode. I was just oh, thinking that's that. Right. Oh my gosh! Yes. So right. Silly of me How to forget that. Crazy yes. and goofy and yeah, that's weird. Forgetful. Yeah. Yeah. I am forgetful. <laughs> I thought but, you meant- uh, yeah, that, that was uh, a great pair of episodes as well. Thank and you. Very Enjoyed them. fitting. Wow. Yeah. So everyone is probably wondering why the hell would three movie nerds gather around to talk about the year 1985? And furthermore, why would we want to talk about Back to the Future for an entire episode? I mean, surely we can't bring anything new to the table. Why would you want to? The movie the movies right. just should have just ended in 1985 after Back to the Future because please come on right. <laughs> well, even if at the end of this episode you still feel that way, hopefully you'll at least hear some personal stories. We're going to touch on our first experiences with Back to the Future. Um, you know, kind of you know, necessarily we're not going to delve into you know actually reviewing the movie and plot details because hopefully by now you've seen that or you heard our brief discussion during the Zemeckis episode. So it's it's more or less going to talk about um, why 1985 was kind of a big year, I think, for all of us in terms of turning us into the movie freaks that we are. Um, I've often said on the show that seeing Back to the Future was pretty much the moment in which I fell in love with movies and knew that I wanted to do something with movies, even if it was just talk for three hours on a podcast about them. So, yeah, we're going to touch upon that, and then later on, towards the end of the episode, we're just going to list our favorite films from from the year, too. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much how it's going to go, overall, I think. So... Okay. Let's get to it. I think so. I'll just briefly begin here, because I want to go back in time, if you will. Um, I was at a one-screen movie theater in Dalton, Illinois. And this is where I first saw Back to the Future. I remember seeing it opening day in a packed house, um, not knowing anything about it, because I was just a seven-year-old kid. Uh, We drove past the poster 
in our 84 Oldsmobile. And I recognized the face on the poster as the guy from Family Ties. I think that was like the first inkling of, okay, I, I know what to expect. I know who's in the cast, at least. Um, and I knew that my dad was a huge fan of a movie that I'd yet to see at that age, uh, Used Cars. So I don't know if that, at the time, the movie was promoted at all that way. Like, from the director of Used Cars. Probably not, since Used Cars was a huge bomb. So I imagine that my dad just simply saw trailers on TV or whatever. He loved science fiction. He loved time travel. And uh, he just wanted me to see it and experience this movie on the big screen. And uh, seeing it on opening day with uh, a really receptive crowd... Uh, really, uh, it's just complimented the experience of seeing a movie like this, and I was blown away. Uh, it just—I'd never—I'd I'd seen ET, and I've you know talked to both of you about the fact that I was not um, as crazy about ET, even at an impressionable age. At a, crazy being the optimum word. Yes, mm-hmm. I know, I know. I, I've grown—I've grown to love it. I've grown to love it over mm-hmm. the years, especially. Uh, as I've mentioned too, um, seeing it at a drive-in with Colin, I was like, "Oh, what's wrong with me? Of course I love this movie. Uh-huh. It's, you know, it's great." <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've had obviously I'd seen many movies before Back to the Future, but nothing had clicked with me in every way, and I'd never experienced like sort of like this communal experience with a crowd where everybody was laughing at the same time and practically cheering and practically just in sync. You just sensed everybody was on the same level, experiencing the same feelings. Um, you know, and it was just one of the most original movies for its time, I think. Like, it just, it was a good amalgam of genre, escapism, and it gave you a lot to think about. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's a perfect movie, and it always has felt that way upon rewatches. I'd never, like, said, you know, it's not that great. I never, like, <laughs> went back and, like, critiqued it and just thought, that's wrong and that's wrong. You know, that you can... Yeah, who are these people that think Back to the Future is overrated? Like, I, like, I don't want to meet those people. I don't know. <laughs> those people, I can't, you can't hold a conversation with those people. I'm no. sure, oh, there's people who can nitpick the time travel stuff. I'm sure know? they can. I yeah. probably could too, but, you know, to hell with them. Yeah. I don't want to hear from them. Go so, away. From that point on, that was, you know, I know Nick DiGiulio, um, you know, a WGN radio host that I bring up many times on the show, uh, mentions uh, seeing the movie uh, Halloween by John Carpenter as being like this uh, pivotal moment and wanting to look at the movie poster to see who was the director. And that's what I did with Back to the Future. I was like, I gotta see who directed this movie and I want to, you know, follow these names, whoever they are, the writer. Obviously I knew who Steven Spielberg was and, um, you know, that was like the first time I remember sort of memorizing names from a movie just because I was like... I want to experience this again and again and again, and uh, luckily that happened more or less over the years. Um, so it's a timeless classic for a plethora of reasons. I'm sure we'll touch on throughout. I don't want to ramble on too much because I want to hear about each of you and what you've experienced when you first saw Back to the Future and why it still holds up for you. And let's go with Colin first because I think most people do know Eric's stance on Zemeckis I kind of like the movie Back to the Future in general from the episode so let's get Colin's take on what it was like for you seeing it in 1985 Uh, I saw it uh, at the Randhurst Cinema uh, when it was a four screen multiplex 
Um, my friend Jim Peebles and I had sort of mastered the art of seeing one movie and sneaking into another one. We've Yay. sort of figured how out how to do that. We're at that age when you know we would only go to movies if we could see two. If the schedule worked out that yep. way, you know, um, because we're if we're if we're riding our bikes all the way up to Randhurst, we, it's got to be worth our while at least halfway. It's got to be able to see at least two movies, and um, I think I think we had managed to sneak into Saint Elmo's Fire, which was rated R, which which was a feat for us because we like I think we paid admission to see one PG rated movie. Not Back to the Future, but something else. I think we. I, I don't think we planned on seeing Back to the Future that day because we figured, well, it's going to be sold out. We're, we'll never get a seat. It's, it's the biggest movie out there right now. Let's try to see St. Elmo's Fire and maybe The Goonies again. We'll try that. And, um, God, St. Elmo's Fire was so bad. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I didn't know. I didn't realize. I didn't understand quite how bad it was until I, I got older. I think we just we were just happy to have, like, actually beaten the system by sneaking into an R-rated film filled with actors that at the time I really liked because I really liked Breakfast Club and, you know, oh, yeah. and all that. <laughs> so um, so after that, we're just kind of like, mm, we could go see Goonies again. Let's go play some arcade games and then figure it out because um, we still had some time to kill. And then Back to the Future was just starting. And I was like, wait a minute. It's only 3 o'clock. That's Back to the Future is just starting. Why don't we just try? Let's just go see. So we did. We went in. Uh, we we hopped the rope where all the big crowds were. Nobody was nobody caught us, and uh, so we went and saw Back to the Future instead, which which surprised us. We surprised we surprisingly we got a seat, um, two seats, and um, it was everything that it was that it was hyped up to be. And I I'm, I just I remember uh, you know just Cisco Niebert reviewing it and just raving about it. Uh, the the trailer looked great. Uh, Johnny Carson had Michael J. Fox on, and and you know I saw a couple scenes from it on there. Uh, so the movie had been out for a while, I, at least a week. Um, and it was just it, you know it was just and re- relentlessly innovative and funny, and just you know just kept your mind going while it kept the laughs going. Um, you know, just trying to figure out the you know the time travel paradoxes and everything. Um, it did remind me there was um, like this thing on HBO uh, before Back to the Future came out. Um, I don't know if it was like an hour long movie or some maybe it was like an eighty minute movie that was really obscure, but I just remember seeing it um, about a girl who goes back in time and meets her mom in in the past. Oh, really? It wasn't. It wasn't. It was more like she fell asleep and had a dream. It was more like that. It wasn't like time travel you know with a mm-hmm. with you know <clears throat> paradoxes and all that stuff mm-hmm. it was it was much simpler than that um and i remember liking that too uh so i thought back to the future was was um a more uh interesting take on that concept but the concept itself wasn't new to me just that in the general sense of going back in time and meeting your parents um but the way back to the future did it i thought this was uh, you know, just really clever and really, um, you know, sort of makes you think about your own parents and, yes. and who they are as you're growing up versus who they were before they had you. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that, you know, that's two different people, you know. Um, and I think, I think Back to the Future... Um, it, you know, it's, 
it I, I think it um, could be. I don't know. It's, it's, I haven't watched it in a couple of years, so I apologize. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting to see how you know they're they're using the past as a way of character development through this character that these characters that we meet in the present day. Um, and then, and then there's the ending. The ending is uh, is is also um, some people like the ending, some people hate the ending. Um, I always liked the ending of yeah. Back to the Future. I was I was oh, thought awesome. it was. Uh, I, I always thought it worked. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it it didn't have the effect on me of you know that it had on you. I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, so by that time, I would I had already you know had my you magical experience. No, 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 but I had already had my magical movie going. He experience. had seen Brazil. <laughs> no, I hadn't seen Brazil yet. No, 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 I wasn't quite there yet. Um, but 1985 was definitely filled with movies that definitely did turn me around as a film yeah. watcher. Um, Back to the Future wasn't one of those films, but it was a film that I always held in high regard. Just uh, you know, from a pure entertainment stance, and a, um, you know, just a, a great piece of commercial filmmaking. Amen. Yep. Eric. Yes. I think we know what you think of this movie. Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what we know. We talked about it on the Zemeckis podcast, but if people are have not heard that um it is my favorite movie of all time and you know you know back in you know 1985 we're talking about 10 when when that movie came out um it seemed like anytime something really good would come out that would become like my new favorite movie in a way like you know ghostbusters was my favorite movie for like you know a summer and all gremlins and all, all those kind of things um so i remember seeing back to the future but Knowing, knowing that there was something else special about this movie, that it wasn't just the hot new movie that I'm just going to love for the next year until the next great one came out. It was you recognized it in the sense of the directorial style, and yeah. I, I was already sort of there with ET, like Colin was. Um, but with, with Future was one of the first times, maybe the first time that I that I noticed the writing. And the and the, the structure of how they got all this information in to under under a two hour movie, got all this information in and paid it off with constant surprises and the kind of you know, twists and things that you wanted to go back a second time and just to see how they paid off. I mean, I don't even remember which viewing it was. How long it took me to realize that when he comes back from the past, that the name of the mall had changed. Right. From Twin Pine mm-hmm. to Lone to Lone Pine. I, I mean, seriously, I do not remember which viewing it was, but it was. It might have been when it hit VHS. Yeah, I think seriously. So. Same um, here, yeah. That my parents bought me my own copy of my own eighty nine ninety nine copy of. Wow. That movie. Yeah, it was a birthday. Those present. are the days. Ooh. It was yeah. a birthday present. <laughs> um, but I remember also. I mean, <laughs> I remember. Um, you know, if it wasn't say Siskel and Ebert or like the Daily Herald Dan Geyer who gave it four stars at the time so obviously I was keyed into seeing it and Spielberg's name was attached to it so I was keyed into it but I remember a classmate of mine I had a classmate of mine who went all, went to movies all the time and usually went before I got to see him and I, I never forget the way he described what the movie was about to me now mm-hmm. tell me if this description would turn you on to seeing the movie he said it's about the kid played by michael j fox who goes back in time and he meets his mother at a time when she was looking for love <laughs> oh god 
Wow. <laughs> that was that was his full full description of the movie. I I'll, I've never forgotten that. Uh, that's what that's what he that. took from it after after watching it. Yeah, I, I well, I, is that he had seen it or he hadn't? I seen think it? he had seen it. Okay, I think he had seen it. <laughs> um, but that's what that was how he described it to me, and I'm like, okay, I'll, oh, okay, and I didn't, I, you know, I didn't know what that implied at the time. I, you know, it was just. I just like, it was Jaws is a Jaws is a movie about a guy who can't decide whether or not to close a beach. Right. <laughs> like really, you know. Yeah. Um, but no. But but since it, it you know it became my favorite movie right away, and it's lasted for thirty years. And the thing that I that I can't get away from, and you know, people have asked me all the time, you know, what's your favorite movie? Say Back to the Future, and they go, Oh, really? And then they ask, you know, why? They they're, they're not shocked but they're just like oh that's an interesting choice and that's a good choice but why do you like that movie so much and i used to have i used to have the stock answer that i would explain to people why i did it and only recently with i think within like the last year i've come up with a more elegant way of phrasing it and so this is what i tell them now is that back to the future is whatever movie you need it to be at the time you watch it Think if you mm-hmm. think about that for a second. If you want a comedy, put on Back to the Future. You want a science fiction movie, bam. You want an action adventure movie, bam. You want a romance, bam. Father son, you know, relationship, bam. Suspense, bam. Subversive satire, bam. All everything, you, everything. musical. Yeah. It's got a musical number. <laughs> okay, it's anything you want it, or, or I say, is anything you need it to be. Which Zemeckis originally really wanted to cut out of the movie. Well, he didn't really. Yeah. He didn't really want to cut it out. They were, as they described the, the Johnny B. Good sequence, it's the only scene in the movie that actually doesn't advance the plot. Right. Yeah. It's right. the movie. It's 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 it's, it's a payoff. It's a, I mean, it's a it's an absolute payoff scene because Marty finally gets to play guitar at the big dance. So it's a great payoff scene, but it doesn't advance anything, and it also kind of delays the the, the time thing right. and whatnot. Um, but it's such a fantastic sequence that they thought they could cut it out if they needed to. But after the first couple previews, I said, "There's no way we sure. can cut it out because it just it blew blew the house down." Um, and they they found other things, uh, minor things to cut out. All good cuts, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, but no, that's why you know, that's why I think that this movie has helped stood the test of time because it can be anything you you want it to be. I would I would concur with that completely. Um, and. You know, from a filmmaking standpoint, I I also sent you this link too about just the opening credit, mm-hmm. the title sequence alone, is one of the best um, examples of economical filmmaking of storytelling that reveals almost so much information in this dense way, but it also like lets the audience in on a mystery with like just hints of this character, you know, like, what's the deal with the plutonium? Yeah. You know, it's just like... He it sets just, up everything in yeah, two, two up, to three minutes, and mm-hmm. right. it's, one of the, it's one of the last things that they actually came up, one of the last concepts they actually came up with was this opening shot. And when I mean, you think about used cars, I mean, it starts with this opening yeah. tracking shot and whatnot. To the odometer. And yeah. To the odometer, right. So Zemeckis is kind of, you know, this kind of thing he does, and... The amount of information you 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 know you talk about in that scene. There's also you know a great foreshadowing scene. You see uh, Harold Lloyd on the end of one of his clocks hanging from the infamous yep. safety, safety yep. last, which foreshadows the end of the movie. Yep. So yeah, there's a lot of foreshadowing going. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
No, that's that's the beauty of Zemeckis too. Is like you mentioned, everything pays off. If he introduces everything. something, yeah, it mm-hmm. gets paid off. Mm-hmm. Even if it's in, even in part two, I'm just like amazed because um, like th- there's such a warmth in humanity. It's I mean at this point, I think that there should be a drinking game on this podcast where whenever <laughs> I bring up the word empathy, because um, so many movies just I, I I don't know if it's just like a you know like I'm just projecting like I'm seeing a lot of movies in this empathic fashion maybe because of Ebert's you know, sort of uh, proclamation about the experience of watching movies. But the way I would describe Back to the Future almost it's like, it's, it's about a kid who learns to empathize with his parents. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is so warm and, and beautiful and the second one is so dark and so <laughs> ugly. And you know it focuses on Biff of all people. Do you not like the second one? I love the second. Oh, okay, one. <laughs> okay. No, I, trust me, I love the okay. whole trilogy. Like, okay. it's not a Matrix thing where I like. Oh, okay. I love the first one and the sequels yeah. suck. No, I love them all. The sequels have have their own unique pleasures yes. to them, and the, just the fact that they knew, like, you know, the thing became a huge hit. It was uh, when it opened in. I mean, we can talk about the history about this too, but like, it, it opened in July, uh, July third of nineteen eighty five, and for the next twelve weeks. Or, or it spent twelve weeks at number one on and off. Uh, the only, you know, the movie that unseated it from number one during during that <laughs> run. Oh God, I, I I have all the release dates from nineteen eighty five <laughs> here. Actually, Gee, okay. Um, let's see here. We'll, we can come back to that if you. Wanna, <clears throat> movie opened on July third. Correct. So, uh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's got to be something. Got to be something good. Um, I don't know. Invasion, Invasion USA? It is not Invasion. It's not a Chuck Norris movie. No? I'll give you a hint. It was a comedy. Pure comedy. Maxi? No, it was not. It was not Glenn Close's Maxi, Colin. Maxi. It was not. That's the first time and last time that will ever be brought up on this podcast. Um, We've just retired Maxi, ladies and gentlemen. There we go. the last time we're ever going to hear that that title. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. But uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It was not Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Same studio, though. Um, was, but that anyway, a, was that a hit, by the way? With Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Yeah. It did well. Okay. Did, yeah. did very well. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was uh, European Vacation. Oh. Really? Yes. Okay. Number one. Number he said one. 12 weeks. Uh, and then but. the next week, Back to the Future, <laughs> took number one again. But anyway. Um, but they knew, like, I mean, obviously it was such a big hit, so obviously Sid Sheinberg and Universal is automatically thinking sequel um, at that time. And Zemeckis and Gale had, like, complete rights to the film, so they could, I and mean, they would have to literally re- relinquish their rights for Universal to do something without them. Um, so it was this kind of this, there was this tug and pull. It was like, you know, you know, do they want to do it for just the money? Can they come up with a, you know, a concept that would make it very interesting? And they were going to, they ended up writing this uh, two hundred and twenty-page script. Well, to, to go back just for a second, um, if you remember when the movie came out on VHS. That was the first time that To Be Continued appeared on at the end of the movie. Oh, really? Oh, I, thought, I did yes. not know that. I thought, I thought it appeared at the yeah. end when I saw it in the theater. It did that's, not. That's there, are lot, there are a lot of people that yeah. memory, in a memento kind of way, kind of misremember. Yeah. They think that To Be Continued was on in the theatrical print, but it wasn't. It wasn't until 1986, when it came out on VHS, that they not, then knew that they were going to do a sequel at some point, that they added that <laughs> to the wow. VHS. And then... Uh, later on, when they the special edition on DVD, Zemeckis had them take the to be continued off Back to the Future because they wanted it to be the original theatrical presentation. Oh, okay. 
Hmm. Interesting. Um, so yeah, so 1986, they knew it was going to be to be continued, and Gale ended up writing this 220-page script, um, and it would have been the most expensive movie ever made <laughs> at the time. And Sid Sheinberg said, "No, I'm not going to fund this movie," um, and they ended up uh, splitting it into two movies. They said, "Well, we'll give you two movies, and it'll only cost you'll cost you 70 million, not 50 million." And he said, huh. but you get two movies out of it. And Scheinberg went, okay. And of course, this is the same guy that then a few years later greenlit Waterworld. Oh, boy. So, <laughs> there, there are a lot of, we, you know, you trace the history of the making of Back to the Future, and there's as many ironies as actually, with, you know, within the movie as well. So, it's a, there's a very interesting history to the film actually making it to the big screen. You can sort of tell, too, that... Um Two and three were written pretty much at the same time. Yeah, because yeah. like even in two, at one point, Doc is saying before he wants to destroy the time machine. Oh, I wish I could go back to the old west and uh, uncover the mysteries of women. Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> foreshadowing to part yeah. three. Right. Um, I just remember like the oh, the reaction of the audience at the end of two. Oh. <laughs> Like just everybody was so. It, it was well. It was, a, it was a double reaction. I mean, Colin. I don't remember. Yeah. Maybe you saw two in the theater. Yeah, I did. So, yeah, I, I remember specifically the action was when Marty comes back running down. There was a <laughs> crowd burst out in laughing, laughter, huge laugh, and then the to be continued got. Yeah. Me. Oh no! <laughs> like what you think was going to happen? Right. So yeah, the third I, one coming. Right. Yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's a it's a you know it's a middle film. It always gets that kind of reaction. Uh, you know. Uh, for no matter what the trilogy is, no matter what the. Was there a time too where you get the trailer like right at like right before the closing that was credits the, of part? I don't two? know if that was the first time. I think I, I'd have to go back and see if it was a, the first time they ever did that, or it was they said it was the first time since such and such. I think it was the first time that it, the movie actually ended with a trailer for the next movie. Because I went into part three going well, I know. Michael J. Fox gets, or you know, I know Marty gets reunited with Jennifer. Yeah, I know because yeah. they show that. In that was the sort of the beginning of the Zemeckis trailer fiascos. Oh, in yeah. a way. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, so obviously, you know, Back to the Future was a phenomenon of sorts, and everybody has that has seen it loves it. I don't know anybody who's like, you know, oh, it's overrated. So I mean, at at the same time. I think it's important to touch upon 1985 as a whole, too, because I think it's a pretty incredible year. Um, even for me, because, like, after Back to the Future, is like, I want to go to the movies a lot, and I want to rent movies a lot. Uh, and it, for me, also, it was, I remember, it was the first year I ever got sort of a bootleg of sorts, or at least, you know, a dubbed homemade VHS tape courtesy of my aunt, I remember being very sick, and your she aunt gave, was a bootlegger. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I still don't know how. I mean, I don't know how she dubbed the tapes. I should ask her at some point. But uh, it was the first time I remember I was very sick, and I, and she came to visit me, and as the first time I'm holding a VHS tape of my own with a label on it, and on it it says Ghostbusters and Cloak and Dagger. Oh, nah. you know, and then the quality wasn't the best, of course, because it's dubbed. But I was right. just like beside myself. And was, was it taped in LP? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Nice. Or EP. The four-hour speed? It probably was EP. Before they got rid of LP? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I mean, that's a double feature right there. That sort of... Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that that was the year before both of those yeah, movies right. came out, but still, like, I, I wore out that tape. Um, and it was also the year of Stallone for me. 
With, <laughs> Weird uh, Stallone for the world, my yeah, friend. Yeah, pretty much. Everybody had an America boner with uh, you know Rambo America first boner. First Blood Part Two. Is that the name of the Frank Stallone song at the end of the film too? <laughs> yeah. American boner, yeah. <laughs> and Rocky Four, of course. Yeah, yeah sir, I mean, if Ameri- if if Rambo was the American boner, then Rocky Four is the ejaculate. Yeah, yeah seriously. Much. I mean, my God. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I actually went back and. You know, critique those movies with a critical eye. I'm sure they they're, they're pretty bad. Oh, Rambo Two's but, pretty funny. I, I've yeah. I've since watched I've watched Rambo Two in, in the last couple months, and uh, I, you know it's it's funny. It, it's it's um, <clears throat> yeah. I I. I, I, I quite enjoy it actually. I, I, I still enjoy Rambo: First Blood Part Two, uh, d- despite in spite of the fact that it is total like Reagan cinema yeah. and oh, total you know flag waving and yeah. all that stuff. But at the same time, it's like you know Stallone is actually not bad in this movie. I mean, in in in, in the first two Rambo movies, mm-hmm. I actually think he gives better performances than the movies deserve. Um, yeah, you're kind of true. You're, you're, you're kind of really, on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, he he really did believe in that character as a character, mm-hmm. not just you know a muscle bound thug, uh, you know, out to kill some you know uh, Vietnamese um, for you know, kid, you know, imprisoning his 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 buddies. Um, there, you know, he really did seem he, he was. You know, there's a lot of conviction in those movies. I think um, so. I think so. I never did. You know, I never did see Rambo three. You know, I never did. I, I was the, one I of the channels. <laughs> I don't remember. One it. of the cable channels, like a week ago, was doing all did like all three. I went yeah. for like July Fourth weekend, but um, <laughs> I, I started watching Rambo three. And you know, something? it's a really interesting sequel to Charlie Wilson's War. <laughs> really? Yeah, okay. because it's all it's about Afghanistan. Right. Right. You know? right, right, right. So it's yeah, I yeah. mean, and a lot of that language, and you hear a lot of the stuff that's going on, and you think like. Like, well, still, they might have been on to something here right. with Rambo. People should maybe go back and watch Rambo 3 in, just as a historical footnote. Kind of right. Thing. People yeah. should watch Back to the Future for the 9-11 references. Oh, we're going to go there? We're going to go there? <laughs> you know about this, Colin? I do not know about this. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> back it's to the, the Future, 9-11 conspiracy theory? Yeah, yeah, apparently Back to the Future, some people believe that it foreshadowed, or was a, it was a warning to oh, 9-11. because of the... Libyans or well, something? Not, or yeah, does the, that something to do with it? That the entire movie is Marty w- trying to warn us that a, a terrorist attack was coming from oh, you know you know brown people apparently, um, and uh, but then there are also other things in the movie like um, the the clock hands and that Doc is hanging from actually ones on nine, ones on eleven. Oh my god! And uh, when they first do the experiment and they the the, the, the watches and whatnot um, yeah. at one point it's 119 and then another time it's 116 which if you turn it upside oh, down well hey is 911 yeah. okay i wrote i wrote a couple of these these other things down here <laughs> i can't believe it when actually. i saw that yeah it's pretty it's pretty i think i mean those are, that's the the main stuff in it um Oh, but then they go into the, the sequel. Like, like part two is is ridiculous because they go in when they go into Marty's house uh, in the future in 2015. The broken screen. The broken screen at one point flashes a picture of the twin towers. Okay, and 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 it gets better. Oh, Colin, it okay. gets better. Is that they actually go like, now if you notice that the only character that's ever seen upside down in the entire trilogy is George McFly in the sequence, and if you look at the movie from his perspective, he's actually seen the towers fall down. <laughs> God, because it flickers on the screen, so it looks like the the, the right, 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 down. right, right. 
Yeah. I mean, you could do that with anything, though. I mean, yes. seriously. Uh, you know, 9-11 conspiracy theories, I, I think they're pretty easy to concoct mm-hmm. if yeah. you try hard enough. I think it's, um, in psychology, they sort of call it a confirmation bias, where you right. sort of look for the things that you want to find to confirm your bias. <laughs> and sometimes and sometimes you can come up with something really interesting. I mean, uh, uh, Chuck Klosterman... Um, I think that that's his name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Such uh, drugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he wrote an interesting chapter in one of his books. Maybe it was that one um, about the Radiohead album Kid A. And if yeah. you listen to it, you that you, you you can sort of see a nine eleven prediction in that album. He's not saying that's what it is, of course. I mean, that, that would be impossible. But he makes an interesting case that you could ascribe a conspiracy theory to something like that. Um, and actually make it an interesting, just as an interesting way of listening to that album, which is pretty abstract stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it actually changed the way I listened to the album. But no way is it a conspiracy. No way. You know, <laughs> right. it's like, come on, people. Let's get your head out of your asses. Uh, the people who come up with this stuff. I, I mean, to, but to ascribe it to something like Back to the Future is absurd. Agreed. Yeah. up Rambo and Rocky 4. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime, anytime. Um, so what were other movies for you guys in 1985 that made a huge impact? I'm sure there are many. It's hard. I'll tell you one that had a lasting down. impact. I might I might not have known it at the time, but it the the lessons of it sort of became big for me in high school in a way. Um, and it's not The Breakfast Club. Um, although that that was the important movie um real genius yeah actually the 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 entire lesson of that movie basically is that you can be you know smart but relaxed you know and that was a very important lesson that i mm-hmm. learned over time to not take yourself too seriously that you can still learn stuff and be a goofball you know and not that i was a class clown or anything but i Certainly, those the lessons of Chris Knight kind of st- stuck with me, especially when I got to a point where I was having those uh, <laughs> those Mitch moments in <laughs> high school, so to speak. Um, like somewhere halfway through high school, just the, the Chris Knight in me sort of kicked in, and I was all the better for it. Yeah, it's about finding the balance, I think, mm-hmm. between the two, and it's 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 a clear indication that Val Kilmer is really amazing at doing comedy. Yes. Because he's fantastic in that movie. That, uh, that was a movie that had to grow on me a little bit. Um, when I yeah, first I saw it... it when, I, when I saw it as a kid, I didn't love it. Yeah, I didn't... It, I, I thought it, it had a lot of funny moments, but I thought at the time, the first time I saw it, I thought, it's just kind of everybody getting revenge on each other back and forth. That and I mean, it's, it, it, it. Yeah, hmm. and, but, not, but the more I watched it, the more I enjoyed the characters and enjoyed actually you know enjoyed the revenge and everything and could see what uh you know see it for what it really is and that now uh, now i love it now it's it's one of the most quotable 80s comedies you know of them all um it was a film that celebrated smart people yeah absolutely yeah you know that's it's a lesson that um i don't know just saw something recently that i thought of uh well project almanac 
um, that I saw that I, I kept thinking of Real Genius, just like, you know, Real Genius was a movie that sort of celebrated intelligence, and even if some of the science was a little ridiculous in the movie, it didn't matter, because you could see them thinking through problems and uh, coming up with new solutions while at the same time, you know, being you know snubbed by beauticians. Um <laughs> Yeah, and that that was uh, that was one of the three or four movies that came out in the same summer, like within a few weeks of each other. There were science comedies, Weird mm-hmm. Science, Real Genius, and uh, My Science Project all came out within the same couple weeks of each They're other. They're all like oh, August yeah. releases, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, they were. Huh. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's true. Yeah, and uh, Real Genius clearly the best of all three of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Even though weird science, I like is weird, science. weird science is kind of fun, but yeah, but, no, yeah. especially Bill Paxton, of course, right? Please. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's I, I, I still to this day often throw in it's a moral imperative in, mm. in, into everyday mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's it's an incredibly quotable movie, and uh, you know, Martha Coolidge directed mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and yep. she went on to do like Rambling Rose and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So yeah, that's that's definitely one that that grew on me too over time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you? Well, for me, there are, there are three movies that I mean that, that's what 1985 is for me is the the release of at least three. I'm sure there maybe a couple more as well. But um, uh, it was sort of the the time when I started watching movies as something more than just entertainment, um, but also like paying more paying more attention uh, to the stuff that was aimed at grown-ups, not just stuff that was aimed at people in my age group. I was 13, or 12 or 13 in 1985. Um, and I just started noticing... Uh, so so the three movies I'm talking about are uh, Brazil, After Hours, and The Purple Rose of Cairo. Purple Rose of Cairo is a big one because it would. It, I, I'd never seen a Woody Allen movie before. Uh, I, I'd heard the name. It, it's he. I, I thought he was just... He's one of these guys who makes movies for my parents, but not for me. So they like him. I don't know what that's about, but whatever. It's not going to be for me. And I saw Purple Rose of Cairo, and I was amazed at how. <laughs> so I, I, I actually I remember we rented Back to the Future and Purple Rose of Cairo the same day wow. when they came out on video. It took a while for Purple Rose to come out on that's video. That's a great double feature. It is, <laughs> and and I and we watched Back to the I don't Future. Think fall in love with movies. And we we watched Back to the Future, and you know it was great again. You know seeing it again, and then my parents put on Purple Rose of Cairo. I was like, all right, I'm going to go in the other room and draw or something like that. <laughs> and I just remember because I was like, that's what I did, you know, like all right, you guys watch your grown up movie. Um, and I remember getting really sucked into it and realizing, like, wow, they make high concept. I mean, I didn't know the term high concept, but uh, yeah. my thought was basically, <laughs> like, wow, they make high concept movies for adults, too. And that's what Woody Allen just did. This is a really fascinating movie. And I remember just watching that movie a lot afterwards and realizing, like, okay, maybe I should start paying attention to these movies that get critical acclaim and, <laughs> and you know, that Siskel and Ebert always praising, but I never watch. Um, and then, uh, after hours in Brazil, soon after that, when they came out on video, um, I just started paying more attention to, you know, stuff like cinematography and editing and how to use music and how to use sound design and everything like that, uh, to tell a really original and complex story that I was never used to seeing, you know, um, I'd never seen anything like after hours after hours was just something just blow blew my mind. Um, uh, you know, I've never seen a movie just unfold like that 
where you know you just got this guy who just doesn't do anything wrong, but he is just always the victim. Everything's going. Everything wrong. <laughs> goes wrong for this guy in this one night, and and it's like a Twilight Zone episode. Um, my memory and, of that is so weird because I think my parents had rented that movie maybe a year later, and I come in at a very strange. It was the scene where. You know, he's talking to her about burns, and yeah. there's the quick little <laughs> of right. the image of the pictures of the burns, burns and victims burn, and stuff. Yeah. So I saw that, you know, at like eight yeah. or something. Like, okay, I'm not going to watch this movie anytime <laughs> no, soon. No, this no, looks too weird for me. Right. No, it's a very weird film. It's an um, amazing movie. Yeah. And then Brazil is one of those movies that um, I, I didn't like when I first saw it. It took me quite a few viewings and it's true for a lot of people. Me too. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, and the more I watched it, the more I just, just realized how brilliant it was. And just, I just was dazzled by it, by the, by the, by the technique of it. And it was one of those movies that always just stuck on my top 10 list. Every year I'd make a top 10 list of my favorite movies of all time. And Brazil was always be near the top while a lot of other movies fell by the wayside as I got older because my tastes changed or whatever, but Brazil was always up there. Um, so Samuel's fire ever make it up there. Oh, you know, it's a top 20, <laughs> 20. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's that peanut butter sure. sandwich. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, when, yeah. when, when Rob Lowe play, plays that saxophone, you know, it's, 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 it's cinema gold. It's magic. Mm-hmm. Doesn't compare to the saxophone in lost boys, the saxophonist in lost boys. Uh, that, that's a specimen. That dude. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. That's all I remember about the saxophone player. Also, I have to bring up really quickly uh, a movie that's become divisive, but certainly wasn't upon its release, and that's The Goonies because I saw that in the theater. Yeah. And as a kid, I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Or you know, it wasn't no Back to the Future. I still love Back yeah. to the Future far more, even as a kid. But I was like, oh my god. Um, between that. Uh, experience and seeing explorers at a drive-in. Hmm. That's that's an, that's another double dose of. Not only do I love movies, but oh my god, I want to go on an adventure with my friends. It's so bad. <laughs> it's like, but you know, uh, nowadays uh, the Goonies is <laughs> any podcast I listen to. There, are, you know, four people host it. Two love it and two hate it. Mm. That's that's what that movie's become. Like, yeah. uh, and the major complaint of that is like, oh, it's just a bunch of kids screaming and yelling at each other. You know, and that's all they envision it as. Um, guys, it's not a bunch of kids screaming for the entire movie. Um, it's not Cadillac Man, where every, everybody's just screaming for <laughs> nice the Nice reference movie. there, yeah. Jim. So, Seems I mean... Cadillac Man. I, I, I just rewatched it last night, as a matter of fact. And I, I, Goonies or Cadillac go- Man? <laughs> Goonies. Um, and that open... You can't deny the energy of that opening. Uh, just the opening credits. It's amazing. That, that score is great. The introduction of all the characters. Mm-hmm. I love the opening so okay, much. Okay, so you're on the pro. I'm getting you're on the pro side. Uh, yeah, of the Goonies. I'm. I'm at like a. I used to be at like an A, A minus, but okay. now I'm at like a C plus. I like it. Okay. Don't love it. Don't love it. Okay. Well, I'm. I, I hope that there's room in there for me in that room, because um, I've always liked the movie. I don't get the hate. Like I don't get the sudden turn of hatred for the movie. Like when that movie came out. Everyone really liked that movie. Yeah, Dan Geyer gave it four stars. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Again, <laughs> I paid attention to reviews at the time. Right. He gave it four stars. Yeah, he did. And I went and saw the movie and thought it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And I still think I, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but I can't imagine it going from a movie that I really liked in 1985 to pure hatred now. And I think the I don't know I I, I 
it, it seems like it's one of those things that like just like a bandwagon hatred for some reason you know like I'm too grown up to like this movie and this movie is garbage and whatnot you know if you legitimately didn't like it very much back then fine but I don't know it just seems it seems like I, I don't and I don't get I mean if, is that really the only reason people hate that movie is that the, the crux I think it's it? just yeah. one of those things I mean I, I don't think it's necessarily just people wanting to jump on a bandwagon and, and, and just to hate on a movie just to hate on it I think there's some movies I mean especially from the 80s that just don't hold up for people you know that's, it's a, you that's know, true I mean, but you don't always just go t- to hate what? You know, you might go like, "Ooh, I like this movie back then. This really isn't very good." You usually get, you usually well, fall in somewhere around there. It, I mean, but you know, I mean, we saw it when it first came out. We're that age group yeah. of you know, late thirties, early forties, whatever that is, um, <clears throat> where you know, we were the we were the target audience for it, and we we enjoyed it. We bought into it. I certainly did. I saw it a few times in the theaters. Um, as I've gotten older. I I'm I love it less because I find the kids a little more annoying and I'm somebody who works with kids it's hard for me yeah. to me you know it's hard to get under my skin that way but um I I I find uh you know the acting uh, the the kids acting sometimes is just a bit too much it's a little too uh overwritten for them and and I and I don't quite buy into them as genuine kid characters. That's what bothers me about it now that I'm older and I watch it. Um <clears throat> and I I think some of it is just it's I think some of it is a little cartoony to the point where I just kind of wince a little bit like they could have pulled back, you know. I'm so glad they cut that freaking Octopus, octopus scene, <laughs> which is like one of the worst deleted scenes ever. It's mm-hmm. like, boy, uh-huh. is there, boy, is there a scene that should never be in a film anywhere? Um, even but though, the, even but though data, data still references it in the movie, <laughs> right? Itself. No, but uh, that didn't me. bother me though because <laughs> I, well, I, know, I, I took that as a joke, like he was lie. making making they stuff were all up, all making lies, right? You know, increasing <clears throat> the adventure that they had, yeah, right. That's, why I, I that's, into that. that's I bought into that as a kid that that's what that, that's what was going on there. I didn't know there was a deleted scene. Um, Although it's in but, the Cindy Lauper video, is it? I never yeah. watched. I never saw the, the Cindy Lauper video. There's a shot of the octopus going underneath the water in the Cindy Lauper video, and I'm always. Yeah. That's how I knew about. It. I'm like, hey, that shot wasn't in the movie. There was no octopus in the movie. <laughs> yeah. What the hell, Cindy? <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. That's a but song. Uh, but I also I I do I mean and and a lot of it is I I do feel like when I when I'm watching it sometimes like Martha Plimpton where she says I feel like I'm babysitting but I'm not getting paid. That's yeah. kind of sort of how I feel when I watch the Goonies now, because um, it is a lot of yelling and screaming, and I just kind of do want them all to shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's things I like about it. You're right. The opening scene is terrific. Yeah. Um, and, there, you know, there's a lot of fun, like, kid fantasy stuff in there. Like, if I had a kid, I would want them to watch the Goonies. I know they'd love it. Oh, like, mm-hmm. I, like, I would oh, want... Yeah, of, I course. Watch, totally. of course. I absolutely show your kids the Goonies. It's a lot of fun. They'll, they'll totally love it. Mm-hmm. You can't and, deny and it, and the, it, collaborative, <laughs> the collaboration. Like, you got Chris Columbus wrote the screenplay with a story by Spielberg directed by Richard Donner. Yeah. yeah. You know, and <laughs> watching it most recently, I don't know how it took me this long to get the reference where... Um, you know, Chunk is calling the police, and uh, he's the, the gremlins. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it took me a long fun, time. fun gag, a fun right. gag. Right. Uh, both Goonies was was shooting um, at the same time that Back to the Future was. So Spielberg was sort of like going back and forth oh, between wow. the yeah. sets and whatnot. Hmm. Um, 
Yeah, so I, you know, uh, so the Goonies is I forgot what I was going to say about the Goonies just now. Um, uh, it's okay. No, it's it's <laughs> all right. It's it's okay. I, it, I I don't hate it. Um, I'm just not quite as enamored with it as I as I was, you know, when I was a kid. I do give Richard Donner credit though. I mean, because he, I mean, when you watch the behind the scenes stuff and you listen to the commentary tracks, which I have, um, you know, he was going through hell making that film with those kids. Like you know, those kids <laughs> drove him freaking nuts on the set. I've you know I've been in, I, I I could feel his pain, uh, <laughs> yeah. just like trying to direct six or seven kids who just can't shut up, can't sit still. <laughs> uh, you know, are always egging him on, and you know he's just trying to get the scene done, and you know get these kids on cue, and they're all you know bloopering to death, uh, messing up their lines and everything, and. You know, it's like there's a reason W.C. Field said never work with animals or children, mm-hmm. um, and you can tell. And, and and so I hats off to him for for pulling off, <laughs> you know that that feat because I'm sure it wasn't easy. And the weather in Astoria was that's like a place oh, where yeah. it, it changes every five minutes and it's always oh, raining yeah. like mm-hmm. a hurricane there. But yeah, I mean it's fine. It's not something like I get excited about rewatching the way I do with Explorers for some reason. Well, let me ask you that. You know, I just I just described you know a movie that I loved as a kid. I don't love it as much now. Is there a movie that you loved as a kid in growing up in the eighties that you look at back now and go, it just doesn't do it for me not anymore? A, not a movie that I probably should have even liked at the time. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're, they're they're really you know like your. The Hunter from the Future. You know, I was like, you're not. Sp- you shouldn't like that movie when you're eight. You know, right. but you know, you watch it like 18 times and just like, hey, they're cavemen now. They're shooting lasers. Right. You know, that, that's cool. Yeah. Um. You know, but it's stuff like that. I'm trying to think. I can't think of a movie that's really come down in quality that I really liked at the time. Okay. Yeah, I tried doing that. I tried rewatching sure I something think from something. my childhood, and you know what? I still like The Gate. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. You know. See, I did not like the gate when I first saw it, so oh, wow. my opinion has not come down on that. Oh, I don't remember. So what I was trying to say is that I was completely right all the time as a child. That's true. That's probably true. <laughs> Flash Gordon still rules. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 1985. What a year! All right. So can you guys? You guys know the top ten highest grossing movies of '85? I have got them right here. But oh, you have them too. Uh, okay. I got them too. But yeah, all right. <laughs> you got them. You took the time to Educate print them out. I just, yeah. Number one is Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two and three both star Sylvester Stallone. We bought them both yeah. up. Number two is First Blood Part Two. Number three was Rocky Four. <laughs> number four and five were both Best Picture nominees: uh, Color Purple and Out of Africa, uh. respectively. I'm amazed that Out of Africa made that much money, but I guess I, that was I guess that was the, the 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 at the time, you know, when a movie wins Best Picture, it you know increases the box office exponentially. And it was one of only and, two movies to gross mm-hmm. more than Back to the Future uh, on the international stage, Out of Africa oh. and Rambo. Oh, really? They uh, both yeah. outgrossed uh, Back to the Future internationally. In, in, yeah, outside of the U.S. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, number six was Cocoon. Um, yeah, it's fine. But, uh, also an Academy Award winner. Uh, Don Amici won Best Supporting Actor that oh, year. Yeah. Even though it was kind of a, Lloyd was never nominated. It was it. That was definitely a <laughs> career Oscar. Yes. Uh, seven was Jewel of the Nile, um, the sequel to the Robert Zemeckis Romancing the Stone. Uh, number eight was Witness. 
<laughs> number nine was the Goonies, and number ten was uh, Spies Like Us. Yeah. Oh, so. Spies Like Us. That's a guilty pleasure. So interesting. Um, going down that list, you heard both Cocoon and Jewel of the Nile. Both of those were uh, Fox movies. Yep. And uh, Robert Zemeckis was attached to direct Cocoon. Cocoon. Mm. That's right. You know that? Yeah, I think I knew that. Um, yeah. He was he was attached to direct Cocoon. Hmm. Um, uh, after Romance in the Stone, which he also done for Fox, and Romance in the Stone, he had been uh, handpicked by Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas was a fan of "I Want to U- Hold Your Hand and Use Cars," huh. and handpicked Zemeckis to do Romance in the Stone. So Romance in the Stone is filming, and they're here. Of, they're, they hear of production problems. I mean, it's them shooting in the jungle for God's sake. So mm. there's going to be problems and whatnot. And they apparently they screened some footage at the at the Fox lot or whatever. They didn't like what they saw. So uh, Richard Zanuck, who was there at the time, uh, basically got him, took him off the picture, took him off Cocoon. Um, and uh, they didn't they didn't even think Romance of the Stone was going to be much of anything. It was actually turned out to be the eighth highest grossing movie of 1984. Uh, they were Fox was actually much more interested in a movie called Rhinestone. Ooh. That they were uh, putting all their their eggs into <laughs> at the time, and uh, *Romance in the Stone* actually outgrossed it by like four times. Um, and so then, in 1985, their two highest-grossing pictures just happened to be *Cocoon* and *Jewel of the Nile*. Sequel wow. to *Romance in the Stone*. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And the whole and the whole reason that Zemeckis like. The only person that believed in... Well, not the only person, but the, the main person who believed in the Back to the Future idea and the screenplay was Steven Spielberg. And Zemeckis and Spielberg go all the way back to USC when Spielberg visited the campus and showed Sugarland Express. Right. And they met there and whatnot. And uh, Zemeckis got Spielberg to watch his student film. So they... You know, they formed this obviously this relationship in the 70s. 1941 came about and whatnot. And, and then didn't Spielberg wind up giving him the Oscar for Forrest Gump? Eventually, yes. Yeah. Um, but Spielberg does, you know, he executive produced I Want to Hold Your Hand and Used Cars. And That's right, yeah. Zemeckis, you know, Spielberg said, well, let's do Back to the Future. And Zemeckis said, let's not, because if I do another bomb with you attached to me, I'm never going to get another job <laughs> in this town again. So he actually sort of... Like thank you, but let let me do romance. Let me do this romance in the stone movie, and we'll see how that goes and whatnot. And then there are other machinations that came aboard. That eventually, nobody wanted to do Back to the Future. Um, even though everyone, everyone, all of a sudden was hot on Back to the Future because of Romance in the Stone. Uh, Disney didn't want to do it because of the incest stuff. Huh. Oh, okay. That's so right. Disney, yeah. Disney didn't that's, want to do it. And, I remember and, hearing about okay. that. Yeah. And of okay. course, and then <laughs> three years later, end up doing Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which has inter-animation species <laughs> screwing. <laughs> um, so, um, so bravo to Disney for you know hedging your bets on that one. Um, but they, they, you know, Zemeckis said, you know, let's go back to the one guy who actually believed in this, and that's Spielberg. And then Spielberg, right. you know. So he did so many things. He he left them alone, but he did so many things. I mean, he executive producer now is just a title, yeah. pretty much. I mean, just you know, if you did something, you moved a cup, you're an executive producer these days. But he was very hands on behind the scenes to make sure that this thing went off, especially with the whole Eric Stoltz 
situation. Yeah. Because yeah. that, I mean, we didn't Did really they shoot talk like about six that. weeks worth? Six weeks mm-hmm. of footage um, that they ended up, you know, they just, they watched in the editing room and Zemeckis knew it wasn't working. And imagine, and, you know, people the, have been fired after a week before, but six weeks. And they Think kept them that. on. Wow. They kept them on shooting, knowing they were going to fire him. Yeah. Like for at least a week, mm-hmm. they kept them on. Uh, there's, uh, they weren't shooting any coverage. They stopped shooting coverage. Yeah. But they were <laughs> yeah. still filming uh, Stoltz, and nobody knew. But, but like, Zemeckis, like, you know, he went to Spielberg. He was like, I think we have to do this. And Spielberg backed his play, and then they went to, like, everyone who saw the Stoltz footage basically said, you're right. Yeah. This ain't working. Do what you got to do. And just the, the timing with Michael J. Fox and the Family Ties schedule just happened to swing back full circle in their favor and whatnot because um, that's who they wanted originally, and they couldn't hmm. get him. Do you know who the other who it came down to besides Eric Stoltz? The other choice it came down to Eric Stoltz and this one other guy, Rob Lowe. No, Matthew Broderick. No, Lowe Lesser. Hmm. He did a lot. Of, he was in a lot of things at the time. Hmm. He did work with Spielberg, Henry Thomas. No, but you're in the right movie. Uh, oh, oh. The older brother? No. No, no. no. Oh, oh, see Thomas Howell. There you yes. go. Okay. See yes, okay. Thomas Howell. Okay. Yes. Sid Sheinberg picked Eric Stoltz. So. And then Eric Stoltz would go on to uh, have chemistry with Leah Thompson. <laughs> you want to talk about like a Mr. Destiny type moment for C. Thomas Howell, like not well, getting oh, cast yeah. in that movie? Oh, thank God he did not get cast in that movie. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I read in, um, there's a book uh, about. The Brat Pack called you could you uh, couldn't ignore me if you tried, yeah. mm. and yeah. um, there's a chapter in there about the making of some kind of wonderful, and um, with Eric Stoltz and Leah Thompson, and Eric Stoltz was pulling his method actor crap on the set again. Oh no! Mm-hmm. And Leah Thompson had to pull him aside and say, "Hey, remember that movie you and I were supposed to do together <laughs> that you got kicked off of? Nice. You might want to pull it back a little, dude, yeah. because this is you're 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 going to make the same mistake again if you don't lighten up and stop being your actory douchey self." And uh, I think he listened to her a little bit. Um, yeah, it's one of many one of the many reasons why he was let go. I mean, the main reason yeah. was that things just weren't working. <laughs> But he, well, he was not. He was. You're right. The method thing was a big thing for him at the time. He was taking it way too seriously. He wasn't bringing the comedy that the movie needed. Right. Uh, yeah. For that. And he also apparently he also didn't quite get, like he didn't get the comedy. He didn't right. quite get the the approach that Zemeckis you know was trying to you know to, to pull off here. Um. He he Plus rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Right. And he's coming off of Mask, uh, which was directed by Peter Bogdanovich, which was mm-hmm. much more serious film. And yeah. you know he definitely, you know he's. That's a movie you can method act with and and get away with it. Although <laughs> he was pissing off the people on the set of that movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, I guess it's probably hard to go from that <laughs> into something a little more madcap and zany like Back to the Future and and you know start trying to cop a whole new acting mm-hmm. attitude. Um, but you know, that's just uh, yeah, it just only, didn't work for him. <laughs> the only person apparently who <laughs> was slightly upset that Eric Stoltz got f- let go. Um, was t- was Thomas Wilson? Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, mainly because uh, they had already shot the scene in the uh, in the school cafeteria where they push each other. Well, now what's up? What's with your butthead? You know. And apparently Stoltz really gave it to him like every time, like really pushed him, pushed Biff, you know, or pushed you know pushed Tom Wilson. 
Um, and then there's also the scene where he punches him in the cafe, and apparently he nailed him at one <laughs> point. Uh, so Thomas Wilson was really looking forward to the moment when he punches him later in the movie and uh, never got that opportunity. <laughs> oh, <man>. So <laughs> Poor Biff. But everyone loved Michael J. Fox. Yes. Yeah. No one, no one had anything bad to say about Michael <laughs> no, J. Fox. Guys working, the, guys working 18 hours treasure. a day, working 18-hour days, yeah. doing yeah. family ties in the day, doing Back to the Future at night, just because he... And, and I mean... He was striking a, while the lightning was hot. I mean, I mean, uh, literally. Yeah. I mean, really, just, uh, just, just. <laughs> and he had Teen Wolf. Yeah, Teen and, Wolf and in Teen Wolf in the can. Um, yeah, that came out in '85 too. Yeah, yeah after, after Back to the Future, I think. Right. Yeah. It was already in the can. He had already done it. Oh right. Um, but I mean, the whole the, the whole Family Ties thing. Like Gary, like Spielberg was friends with Gary David Goldberg, who created yeah. Family Ties. Mm-hmm. And when they first wanted Michael J. Fox, they went to him and said, "We we want Michael J. Fox," and it was. It was like the first season, and they he wouldn't let him do it. He didn't want, uh, just didn't want any distractions, kind of thing and whatnot. So he he wouldn't even let Michael J. Fox read the script. So then Stoltz gets fired, or like in the process of being getting fired, and they're going on hiatus because Meredith Baxter Burney was pregnant at the time. Oh. So they were taking a hiatus. So that gave him the oppor- the, the open window. So then they went back to like here show this to him and of course he read it and said yes <laughs> you know so. Nineteen eighty-five. Let's we'll throw some titles out. Sure, go you. for it. Um, this one I watched last week. Uh, the uh, the other Richard Donner film from that year, Lady yeah. Hawk, and yeah. I think the better the better the two films. Um, that's I haven't a, seen that in a long time. I can't comment. It's been years. <laughs> I, I I really like it. I think it holds up really well in spite of the bad synth score, Alan Parsons score, Alan Parsons score. In spite of that, I think the movie holds up really well. It's a great fairy tale. It's a great, uh, nicely, uh, great performances. Really good cast. Um, kind of drags a little bit. Um, you know, a little, yeah. But it's still. I mean, just as a pure, just it's just a great fantasy yeah. story, and it was always fun for me just to see Rutger Hauer as a good guy. Yeah, exactly. You know, just right. like I had this, you know, the oh, image, yeah. obviously, as, of right. Roy yeah. Batty, and it scared the crap out of me. Right. And here's Rutger Hauer playing the, the dashing, you know, hero type. And yeah, the love. And he's awesome. Yeah, he's great, and, yeah. and he, he should have had more roles like that. I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't know if Lady Hawk did very well. I have a feeling it, I don't think it, it did. It didn't do great. Yeah. It, it didn't do horrible, but I don't think it, it didn't do great. Like, maybe 18 million, something like right, that. Right, right. Uh, so the summer kicked off uh, summer of '85 uh, kicked off with Rambo and Brewster's Millions. Uh, I saw Brewster's Millions in the theater. Yeah, I think I did too. Ugh, yeah, uh, yeah. I remember that was the, I just watched it on video, and I think I laughed once. Uh, John Candy uh, harassing the—he's playing the, the Rick catcher. Moranis. And he's, and he's oh, harassing yes. the, the guy at the bat uh, for keep missing. Yeah. And then after that, there's like dead. Like that movie was just dead after that. Yeah, uh, really horrible film, and, and directed Walter by Walter Hill. Hill. Did yeah. Summer Rental come out in '85? Yes, yes, it did. did. Love yeah. Summer Rental. I, I love too. Summer Rental. I do too. It's kind of a you film. love Summer Rental. I I I, 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 I kind of do. Yeah, Summer Rental is I mean, really funny. It is it really funny? I mean, I remember liking it. I mean, when the I last saw twenty it, minutes are a little lameish. That's yeah. what I, that's what I remember. I remember like the first race. half was kind of funny, the second half not so much. It gets a little kind of saccharine sweet in the last. Yeah. It, yeah, but it's, sure it's an eighty-eight minute movie. I mean, right. so but like there's some. 
great John Candy <laughs> stuff yeah. in that movie. Oh, sure. Yeah, Carrie Green again, and then Richard oh, Crenna again. Richard Crenna. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you got, uh, and then, then you got, then you got Fletch, um, and the Fletch, and then the Goonies, and then you got a couple of, uh, you got Perfect and Pritzy's Honor. Pritzy's Honor was a huge critical hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, back oh, yeah. then, and that, that movie had legs all summer, and then was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, one of the rare summer films to get nominated for Best mm-hmm. Picture. Mm. Um, good movie. Uh, That's been a long time since I've seen that one. That was a, one of those movies that I started watching with my parents. I'm like, this is why I don't watch uh, movies that are. I, parents, I watched it with I, my parents I, I too. Get it. I was like, I'm out of here. I'm done. Yeah, I don't get this. Uh, but now that I'm older, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Hmm. Um, let's see. We talked about Cocoon. Uh, Return to Oz and Pale Rider came out around the same. Never time. been a fan of Pale Rider. Nah, neither have I. Yeah, I uh, haven't seen it since uh, it came out on video. You want to talk about a movie that drags? <laughs> and it, yeah, a lot of Clint Eastwood movies drag. Um, and then he got the Back to the Future, and then uh, a week after Back to the Future, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, uh, um, which came out on a Wednesday, Wednesday, and then Explorers and Silverado. After that, Explorers, oh. I did not see. Uh, until it came out on video because it yeah. wasn't out long enough for me to see it in the theater. That thing came and went so quick. I want to say it was a triple feature at the drive-in. Yeah. I didn't stay awake for all of it, but I think it was Explorers, Star Trek Three, and <laughs> Footloose. But I don't think Footloose came out in 85. No, no. that's 84. Both Footloose of those are and Star Trek Three are 84. Yeah. That's weird. I wonder why they showed those two movies with Explorers then. They're all well, Paramount movies. <laughs> they're all Paramount movies, and that was still a time when, you know, a drive-in... Or a dollar house or something would just you know bring in an old movie just to fill up space because mm-hmm. uh, the newer movies were still you know too expensive to book right. um, because they were still in their first run. It was also like the the first experience of like a meta movie moment because there's a, a scene in Explorers where they're at a drive-in. Right. So right. Yeah, yeah. That was like my like first like oh my god this is crazy. Thunderdome was <laughs> my drive-in my first drive-in experience with European Vacation. Wow. Oh boy! That was, okay. that was my first drive-in double feature: European Vacation <laughs> first, Thunderdome second. I'm, you know, it was and, a good night. Yeah, it was a drive. It was a good night. No, twin. Thunderdome is great. I don't care what anybody says. I think it's pretty good. Um, it's, it's quite good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he got here. You go, Eric. Yeah. Uh, Bring well, it. Day of the Dead. Uh, the, the man with one red shoe, okay, nice. and the legend of Billy Jean. Well, oh, now fair is day. fair, Colin. There you go. Come on, fair is fair. <laughs> Let's go. There you go. Um, and then, and then you got a Disney film that summer was the Black Cauldron. You know, which, uh, the movie that huh. in thirty years I still have not seen, and I've I don't always think I've seen wanted it to see it. Yeah, it's, um, it, you know. It's okay. You're killing my buzzer, dude. No, no, no. I mean, you should see it. <laughs> you should see it because it's an interesting, you know, sort of historical film because yeah. it's, it's a PG rate. It, it, it got yes. a lot of flack because it's a PG rated right. animated film. Right. And uh, it, it was it, that sort of when Disney was in that slump that where they just didn't know how to make good movies yeah. anymore or make movies that people really Kids, wanted to see. Yeah. Um, you know, it took another four years before they made Little Mermaid and got themselves back up to speed again. Or uh, three years, Oliver and Company was a pretty big hit too. But mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, but Black Cauldron is is an interesting movie because you just kind of watch it going, who thought this was going to be a hit? <laughs> um, because not because it's it's not bad. It's just yeah. there's nothing about it that just screams like. Why? I mean, to to go through the process of making an animated film, especially at Disney, you've got to have a passion for it. 
somebody had a passion right. for this thing. Um, but <laughs> it doesn't come off screen at all. Hmm. Um, but it's an interesting thing to look at if you're interested in, you know, Mm-hmm. animation from a historical perspective uh and then you got uh kiss of the spider woman and <laughs> european vacation on the same day um and then august i think august this is a pretty strong august i think that's not, august is not a usually a strong month right. for films mm-hmm. but you got uh fright night oh. uh follow that bird yes yeah that's a great movie yes uh weird science and real genius and my science project we all talked about mm-hmm. Pee-wee's big adventure yeah which I thought was way earlier in the summer, but uh, I guess not. I saw that movie about nine times in the theater. I yeah. was blown away by Pee Wee's Big it's Adventure. Also, four stars by Dan Geyer. If yeah, I'm not mistaken. Wow. And that that's that was a very dev- divisive movie when it came out. People either loved it or hated it. I remember really? Gene Siskel hated it. Did he really? Yeah, yeah he I didn't did. Know that. He had it on his worst. He had it on his worst list. I remember he, they, um, when they did their end of the year list, Siskel Niebuhr. Uh, Siskel had it on his worst list. They played a clip from it. Rogers, Roger hadn't seen it. And huh. he said, ju- judging from that clip, I think I would enjoy that film. <laughs> I think it was a scene where just uh, Pee-wee's riding through the park and posing on his bike, and, and then he, he flips over. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I did, yeah, I did see that. And Roger was like, actually, that was actually kind of funny. I might actually watch that film. <laughs> um, and I think he did. I think he liked it. Um, and then he got the you know, summer rental, which you guys like. Mm-hmm. Um Return of the Living Dead and Volunteers. I like Volunteers. <laughs> volunteers <laughs> makes me laugh. Volunteers. Oh my god. <laughs> I know people don't like Volunteers. I love I volunteers. Like volunteers. Volunteers is a really funny movie. <laughs> yeah. That's another I should rewatch because it's the, been a way too movie, long. People hated that movie. Oh, like, they did. Yeah. And I don't. I. I always. It always made me laugh. Yeah. I. Um. Is just the John Charles. Charles. John Hanks. Candy and Tom and Tom Hanks and together again. Wow. Right. That's where you met Rhea Wilson. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, Charles Napier stuff is funny. Uh, <laughs> Getty Watanabe is funny in it. Yes. Um, just all Getty the stuff. Getty Watanabe had a good, that was a good year for Getty Watanabe. He was the go-to Dung guy old. when, he was the yeah. go-to guy when you needed a Chinaman. You know? <laughs> a wacky One Chinaman. Orientals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, hey, Fred, isn't that your Chinaman? Oh, yeah. Bye, Dom. This is the podcast. I'll be cut um, That's what they were yeah. calling them in the 80s. That's yes. what I'm saying. Let's go back and Calm watch down. Candles. Jesus. Um, <laughs> the jokes, people. Relax. They're jokes. Come on. Uh, but no, that's, you know, that's what he was yeah. back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you needed a wacky Asian guy, we you just, we don't have, you have a gong sound effect? Yeah, can you, can you put okay, that put, that, put a gong sound effect every time we bring up Getty Watanabe. Let's just go all out yeah. offensive on everybody. Sure. I'm a fan of Gung Ho, too. <laughs> Gung Ho and... Uh, was Gung Ho 85? Mm-hmm. Oh. No, 86. No, 86. Gung Ho was 86. Okay. I'm sorry. So, yeah. so um, And also a movie that... I'd be curious to see if I still if I would still like this movie. Because um, I did when I saw it on video. It was American Flyers. Yeah, John Badham. Right. Yeah. Uh, Kevin early Kevin Costner film. Kevin Costner, John Amos, <laughs> Alexander Paul, Ray Don Chong. It was kind of a breaking away type of film. Uh, it was, it was bicycle a bicycle racing. Okay. okay. Uh, coming of age thing. The I Strange think. Brothers. So, uh, one of them had cancer or something. Brain, one of them brain, was like, brain, brain thing. Okay. Like an aneurysm. <clears throat> I remember really liking that movie when it came out, and I don't know if it would. If it holds up, I haven't seen it since. Is but it better than BMX Bandit? <coughs> yes, probably. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. The, the racy stuff in the movie is is really well shot. Um, it, I mean, it's you know, it's it's a John Badham movie from the eighties. I mean, it's, right. it, it is what it is, and it's not. It's it, it's definitely not horrible. No. Okay. You know, no. is it great? Uh, probably not. But I it's think not. War, Ga- War Games is great. War Games is great. So yeah. is Blue right. Thunder. 
Um, um, and then at the end of the summer, you got uh, Agnes of God, which I never saw. <laughs> got uh, remember, remember Ebert hated that film. Um, well, everybody else loved it, but he mm-hmm. hated it. Uh, and then Better Off Dead and Teen Wolf. What do you guys think of Better Off Dead? Like it? I'm okay with it. Yeah, I yeah. like it. That's one of those uh, loved it when I first saw mm-hmm. it, and then kind of gets less funny. Can see that. Yeah, yeah, I can see. Well, it gets, one crazy summer, odd. I kind of like too. Isn't it a stupid? Like, a never it's not as like it. it's not as good as Better Off Dead, but there are moments in it that are really quite yeah, funny. The, both of those movies have funny moments. They're not consistently great. No, Chili Dog. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's our go-to line from One Crazy Summer for no apparent reason. Sometimes okay. I no memory. Exactly. I just remember walking. Me, and my friends walking out of that movie, going, "Did you laugh? <laughs> no, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh either." <laughs> All right. I guess it wasn't me. Bobcat, right, Bobcat go. Goldthwait telling the story about the fat kid. Uh, oh, yeah. you remember that? I remember. I sort of remember that. Yeah, it was this really fat kid, and you know, we used to pick on him all the time. Egg, were you that fat kid? No, I used to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> I still like Teen Wolf. I'm, I'm willing to really admit you like that. Teen. I like Boof. I love Boof. Oh my god. Yeah. That, that's, Susan that's, or I, Susan clearly, or City. Clearly, uh, I have a type: Boof and then Jordan from Real Genius. Yeah, Michelle yeah, Mayrink. That yeah. That's a type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, what? Well, okay. I mean, you're a screenwriter. You gotta you gotta come up with a name for a female. How do you come up with Boof? I don't know. In a how PG you, movie. How do you what? In a PG movie too. In a PG like, movie. How do you not know that that's a bad name for any kind of character? Hut, I mean, I don't know. Hut, Hut, I be they, they never really, really established like it's a nickname or anything. Like, is, is their last name Buf- Bufowski or something? That's like, what they I'm don't, saying. Like, like they you, don't. You gotta you. explain that. Yeah, I mean, she's just called Boof Google for the, the entire or- movie. Google the Google the screenwriter yeah. and then uh, find hmm. him uh, wherever he or she. It's made. another movie with like just, like bestiality it's, it's and stuff. It's, it is dumb. But I still yeah, like it. I I I watched it on Netflix a few. Years ago, I was like, "Wow, this is this yeah." Is really you can't way worse than I. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's better than the secret of my success. <laughs> no, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, probably okay. not. No. Yeah. Life with Mikey uh, for love and money. Uh, I never saw for love or money. I never saw for love or money. Life with Mikey is not good. No. And then you got okay. So then you got uh, moving into September. Uh, a lot of a you know. Uh, plenty smooth talk after hours. <laughs> Maxi, there oh, we go. Yeah, yeah, that was we we agreed, Colin. We weren't going to bring that All up right, again. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then September 27th, <laughs> um, Invasion USA and the Journey of Maddie Gan. There you go. <laughs> there Two you go. Very different. Yes. There you go. Speaking of types, <laughs> Meredith Salinger. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. I had a huge crush on Meredith Salinger yeah, when that movie came out. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you ever see uh, her in Bugbuster? No, Bug I did. Buster. I what did. the hell is that? <laughs> this is one of those movies that I just happen to see. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Bugbuster, right. George Takei's in it. You should start your own podcast just no, for that. Really? <laughs> Bugbuster. No, I mean like movies that only. I've she gets seen. bitten by the bugs and they go under her leg and then they hmm. manifest and she dies. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So Journey of Natty again is one of those movies I wish Disney would like release properly on DVD or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Good call. Uh, it's never been. There's a few of them from that. Oh yeah, that whole era. I mean, like uh, Flight of the Navigator, right? Uh, something Wicked This Way Comes. Has never been released? Not on. I don't think widescreen. Huh. Something Wicked This Way Comes needs to be oh, yeah, out. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, the be. laser disc of that movie was incredible. I mean, because right. it was widescreen and it had a commentary track by uh, Ray Bradbury. 
I don't know if I have that or not. I have that. Do it's, you really? Uh, I have a copy of it. Yeah, it's oh, great. Oh, wow. Um, and then October, you got Commando, Jagged Edge. Okay, Commando. Stop the... Pr- All right. Okay. Commando. Commando. <laughs> Please. I just, I just... Moment of reverence for Commando, which, as goofy and ridiculous as a movie it is, you can watch that movie, and there's actually some really terrific action in sure. the movie. Like, really terrifically, like, staged, choreographed, stunt-type, like practical stunt action in the movie. I mean, he kills like 88 people in the in the climax, <laughs> which is awesome. But, okay, okay, well, uh, a week later, yeah. speaking of that, mm-hmm. you got Remo Williams. Which oh. I heard is going to be coming out on Blu-ray. Yeah. Twilight Time is going is I, I just heard, is going to be releasing a Blu-ray of Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins, which Excellent. I don't think has ever been in widescreen and on any format. Right. And talk about talk about casting that would never work today. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> Joel Gray as the Asian master. Oh. I mean, you could never get away and with that oddly today. enough, Fred Ward just showed up on True Detective. True Detective. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So you oh, got that. Oh, Fred got, Ward. Oh, God. Miami Blues. Remo Williams is, there's, there's, again, practical action. There's some really right. good yeah, stuff in that movie. I'm yeah, excited to watch mm-hmm. that again. That's yeah. Cool. It's, it's kind of fun. It's, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. still, it's still, fun. still fun. Yeah. And then... Um, and then on the horror side in October, you got Silver Bullet, and then one of the great horror movies of all time, Reanimator, yes. which mm-hmm. was a big deal for me Absolutely. Uh, when I saw that one. Mm-hmm. Um, mixing just comedy and horror in such a way, and just having a sick, demented sense of humor, and just like <laughs> a movie that really lived up to the hype for me. Because I remember reading all about it, and it was one of those movies that. I think it was the first time I saw a movie ad that said it didn't have a rating, but you could not be under the age of 17. True. We will not get, we will yeah. not let you in, period. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, what is this? I've never seen that before. Didn't Evil Dead 2 have that kind of Evil Dead 2 too? did also. That was a couple years later. Yeah. But, it was, um, yeah. But yeah, but Reanimator was the first one to have that. And I remember seeing it going, yeah, I could see why they could, had a hard time just giving mm-hmm. it an R. Uh, uh, shameless plug, has. we will be covering Stuart Gordon in October. Nice. All right. Yes. And in November, you got To Live and Die in L.A. Uh, yes. Fantastic movie. Love it. Wow, oh, wow November's weak. Wow, November's bad. <laughs> really? No, the Oscar oh, buzz did after, start hitting uh, in November? After, no, it did what not. What were the big Oscar contenders in November, here's, Colin? Here's what we got for November. Target. That, <laughs> that was then, this is now. Oh. Transylvania 65,000. Once Bitten. Rainbow Bright and the Star Stealer. Now we're getting to November 22nd. I think Transylvania. No, 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 no. Sounds like January. No. November 22nd. Bad Medicine. Wow. With Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg. He was hot. Police Academy 2 was a huge hit that year. Um, King Solomon's Minds. Oh, no. One Magic Christmas. One of the most depressing Christmas movies ever. That's one of your favorite bad (laughs) Christmas movies, isn't it? It's it's not bad, bad, but it's. it's, Yes. Um. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. He's thinking of he's thinking of this November lineup. He's <laughs> killing him. It's really he's killing hard. Colin here. It's really hard. Target. Um, <laughs> start confused with Target. So oh. just, just, let's talk about Target for a second. Let's and again, let's not. Um, <laughs> All right. Sorry yeah. about Where's that. Where's Gotcha? Didn't Gotcha come no, out? No, no, no. That was earlier. That oh, was we're, in the spring. We're still. I I, I've only mentioned half of the title. <laughs> okay. November twenty second. So. Bad Medicine, King Solomon's Minds, One Magic Christmas, Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin, which was a big deal when it came out because it was a 3D, 3D. animated film. Yeah. Oh, wow, I don't think I ever saw that. No, yeah. not good. Uh, White, Knight, White Knights, which is the best film on this list. I did see that. Uh, um, can we talk about White Knights for a second? I sure. don't remember much if, about if it. If you will. Because you remember, <laughs> what is the most significant thing to happen 
for White Knights in 1985. Not the was Phil Collins song. Phil Collins. I know you're no, a Phil Collins fan. No, Is that he, where you're going with this? He didn't do a Phil, Phil Collins didn't do the song for White Knights. Was it Lionel Richie? Lionel Richie. Or Lionel Richie. Yeah. And Lionel Richie beat Huey Lewis, Power of Love, for best original song. Oh, in the no. That's right. It's why Lionel Richie can go to hell. <laughs> okay, and in fact, there's a, there's a funny story at the Oscars, actually, um, where Huey Lewis was actually seated by Marvin Hamlish. Okay, and if you remember what you remember, what else Lionel Richie did in 1985 that was significant? Stalked a blind woman. Wow, well, that was '84. That was '84. Okay. Thank you, uh, thank you, Colin. <laughs> um, no, uh, USA for Africa. We are the world. Oh, so, man. So Marvin Hamlish notices that Lionel Richie, he goes, uh-oh. And he says it to Huey Lewis, and he goes, what? And he goes, Lionel's on the aisle. Yep. <laughs> and then they have this conversation afterwards where they, even Mar- uh, Huey you know, said it was, like it was a political move. Because seriously, when was the last time well, you yeah, heard Say course. You, Say Me? Yeah. Seriously, really? yeah. Power of Love. <laughs> I you do still have here? In my head now. Though. I wa- I walked. I, my, I just went to Vegas. Um, I'm sorry, not Vegas. Uh, last week I was at the racetrack. Walked in outside, and Power of Love comes yeah. on. It plays. Not at work. say you say me. <laughs> it, it plays at my job at least once a day mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's an yeah. amazing song. And now I saved this movie for last. Uh, we're still on November 22nd. So you got Bad Medicine, King Solomon's Mines, One Magic Christmas, Star Chaser, White Knights, which I kind of like. I kind of like White Knights. Yeah. Um, and then the creme de la creme of bad movies of, from 1985, the legendary that needs to be on DVD like right now, uh, Fever Pitch. There it is. Oh, my God. Fever Pitch with Ryan Speaking O'Neill. of Vegas. Thank yep. You. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's a Vegas that I knew briefly. Yeah, I was nine. I mean, she's hurt. She's hurt. She's hurt. Yeah, she's hurt. Um, yeah. So like, that's November twenty second in nineteen eighty five. Oh, how things have changed. You cannot. Yeah. You cannot have a lineup like that uh, today at on November twenty second. I can't believe that's November. I just can't believe. Right. It. I'm, I'm in denial about it. Yeah. And then you got. And then you got more. Blockbuster-y. We have to invent a time machine and prevent this from happening. <laughs> well, I think November was still sort of like dumping ground at that time. Uh, it wasn't until like. Thanksgiving weekend, which you get Rocky Four and Santa Claus the movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, st- kicking off the 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 second blockbuster season mm-hmm. of the year, and you get when you got Young Sherlock Holmes, Spies Like Us, Jewel of the Nile, yeah. uh, Chorus Line, Clue, um, and, oh, then Clue. and then your and then and then your Oscar movies, Color Purple and Out of Africa, coming out on the same day, uh, and then Enemy Mine, and uh, and then and then here's your Christmas Day. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, Christmas Day is um, limited release of Murphy's Romance, um, which is a, that's which a good is, movie. I remember it. it Murphy's is Sally is Field good. and Bert James Reynolds? Garner oh, no. and Corey Haim. Corey Haim is in it too. Huh. Um, Very charming movie. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a nursing home classic. Um, <laughs> is it? Yes, it is. Okay. That's, that's how I felt when I, I was flipping channels one day. Well, I think it was during like some <laughs> awards show like a few years ago. And I was like flipping channels. Like one channel is showing Murphy's Romance, the other channel is showing, I think, Golden Globes. And I was going back and forth between the two. And I'm watching Murphy's Romance, and I'm thinking, like, this is made to be watched in a nursing home. That's so, it's so nice and wholesome and not provocative in any way. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying it's like 
this is this is this is uh yeah this is you know i think that's ageism and it's discriminating yeah, okay. against right. because they're old <laughs> i am okay. dying court no lloyd lloyd Dobbins. you're right it's a cocoon right it's about a bunch of old people that go to space hope i didn't give anything away there. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so then you got so okay so december 25th you got a limited release of murphy's romance a trip to bountiful and revolution with al pacino <laughs> revolution revolution yeah. which was the bomb of that year i believe it was that was one yeah one of the biggest bombs of that mm-hmm. year one Did of the biggest bombs to- of the Decade. When did the color purple was like New Year's Eve or like when did that color well, purple come it, out? It says here December eighteenth. Maybe okay. that's New York oh, and LA. Yeah, Maybe probably that's okay. with yeah. that. Um, so yeah, so where's that's, Gotcha? Where is Gotcha? That was a spring release, I believe. Yeah, I didn't go through the spring. I kind of started. It's a milkshake. I, I started. You uh, slurp it later. Oh, no. May third was Gotcha, May, along May, with May third, along with Code of Silence and Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta. Oh, man. Nice. Yeah. Jim Cotta, baby. Code of Silence is not is pretty okay. It's Andrew It's Davis. good. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah, a, a good Chuck Norris Chicago movie. A lot of Chicago character actors pop up in mm-hmm. that movie. Yes. So it's not bad. It's not yeah. bad. No, Code no, of Silence I mean, is I fine. Mean, I mean, 1985 even started strong, I think. I mean, you got <laughs> January 11th, uh, 1985, Avenging Angel and Tough Turf. Like, <laughs> New World really owned that weekend, I think. Wow. Here's, here's, here's an interesting... When you were talking 30 years, and, you know, yeah. every, you know, in Back to the Future, they always reference 1985, as, at least in the, in the thing was in Part 2, where he references... Who knew that 1985, this, or this date, could carry some big significance, you know... Cosmic the, co- significance. Cosmic significance, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, the idea... You know, we're, we're talking about this entire list of movies here, and we, we talk, we're talking about movies that influenced us in some way, or stuck with us in another way, or taught us new things about cinema and whatnot and it's also just a movie or a, a, a movie year which is so many great favorites like right. you, know, you know movies that you just you, you know you pass on cable and you're gonna leave it on you know it might not be your favorite it might not be brazil or purple rose of cairo but it's real genius it's spies like us it's rocky four whatever commando it's clue um, it's clue <laughs> yes which i did a few weeks ago um it's I, clue absolutely I like, clue is um, an interesting success story but uh, go ahead it is yeah. you're right yeah um well my, my question is like look at say one like a, a recent year do you think there's any recent year I'm talking like the last five, let's just say, mm. that you could see 30 years from now someone sitting in a living room having the same sort of podcast, thinking of talking about one individual movie and a bunch of other movies that change their perspective. Do we have movie years like that anymore? I know a lot of people like to reference 99. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, you know, <clears throat> that's, that's, that's a lot of up- upcoming talent really came into their own that year. But I'm just um, talking about like re- I mean that was '99. That's that's yeah. 15 plus years ago. Maybe 2007. No, I mean I I, I think what maybe. you're saying what you're saying is like really significant years like this. But I I think my answer would be no. But that's not a bad thing because um, I think we're at a point right now in movies where they're really. I don't think there is such a bad thing as a bad. I don't think there is such a thing as a bad year anymore, because mm-hmm. we are so inundated with so many movies from all yeah. kinds, all genres, documentaries, you know, and indie films with all different kinds of voices, all different kinds of perspectives. People are constantly trying to do new things, playing with the form, um, and, and interesting, and, and introducing new aspects of filmmaking that you know are still being invented. Um, and I think it's a really exciting time. Um, 
I mean, are there still bad movies? Yeah. Are, mm-hmm. are most of them coming out of the studio system? A lot of them are, yeah. I mean, the studio system is definitely on hold in a lot of respects with, um, you know, obsessions with Marvel and, um, you know, stuff like that and franchises and everything like that. But I think, um, I, I, I really think this is, you know, we're, we're a lot savvier now. Filmmakers are a lot savvier now. Audiences are a lot savvier now. People have to work a little, a lot harder to please an audience and to pull uh, and, and to surprise an audience. And I think there's a lot of talent out there that is up for that challenge. And I think we're seeing a lot of it. Every time I make a top 10 list or top 20 list at the end of the year, I find myself wishing I could add 10 more films that I really liked, uh, that were, you know, significant in some way. So like, I, I don't think, I mean, you know, we're getting, we're, we're the three of us are, you know, we're just sort of going, indulging in this sort of nostalgia, and it's a lot of fun because that era was so different. The climate was so different. There weren't as many movies being made. And it was, you know, it's a lot harder to get you know, for filmmakers and writers to get their foot in the door. So, so when you see something like Back to the Future that is totally original um, and a lot of fun and crowd pleasing, uh, it's, 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 it's kind of a miracle for that time. Yeah, it stands really. out. It really does stand out. Yeah. Um, it's a lot harder to stand out, but these days. But I don't think that's quite such a bad thing. Think, if that makes I think any VOD sense at all. VOD too has changed a lot. That too, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely. The way people watch movies. <laughs> yeah. Like something like I mean, like I was listening to another podcast. Like, man, this has turned out to be a pretty bad year. Like, no, I mean, I just, like there's a lot. If you dig too, if you dig, like, yeah, sur- like you have to, you kind of have to dig. Yeah, though. yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. like stuff <laughs> like faults, like a movie that's kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, Good, underground, yeah. and, and it's like, yeah. I thought that it wasn't like mind blowing. It's not, you know, Tree of Life or something. You know, right. but it's still something special and something unique and mm-hmm. something that I think if people were to seek it out more, they would they would connect to it yeah. in some way. Yeah, get something out of it. I thought of this. I came up with this idea earlier <clears throat> today, actually, um, and it'll, it would never happen. But just um, um, indulge me for a second here as an experiment by the movie studios. Okay, call it like their own personal purge, if you will. (laughs) For one year, January to December, no sequels, no remakes. One year, yeah. Try it, right? Try it. You know, doesn't I don't care. You know, you could be three hundred sixty-five adaptations. I don't care. Just no sequels, no remakes, and then just maybe you come upon something really original, like a Back to the Future or something like that. That then you can have sequels for the next few years when we allow you to make sequels again. <laughs> yeah. Just I, I mean, just it, just yeah. try it. Just yeah. like you know, just yeah. a year's worth of original or semi-original material and whatnot. The money's. Yeah. I mean, the money's not just going to completely disappear. People will just find the movies that are really good and flock to those, as opposed to just going the opening weekend when they see a two, in, you know, in front of right. it. Right. Well, that's an interesting idea. I'd love but it. It'll never happen. Yeah, it'll never happen. No, but I don't know, I'm going to dream. But then yeah. we wouldn't have a Mad Max Fury Road. You know. <laughs> Granted. Yeah. But, Granted. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, I think I think that's, yeah, that, that's a nice little dream yeah. right there. <laughs> that's all it is. That's all it is. I mean, really, seriously, like, when a guy, like, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's like, I, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan, when he comes out with something, it's it's brazenly original and and thought provoking and and full of you know 
big budget special effects and big ideas and everything. And it is a miracle that something like that can still mm-hmm. break through the studio yeah. system. It's kind of appropriate that you've been out for Zemeckis and then Christopher and Christopher yeah. Nolan yeah. and Spielberg. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. Well, that's my trifecta right there. So, <laughs> so. wow, yeah. food for thought. Food for thought. Food for thought, um, everybody. Yeah, let's just go ahead and launch into our lists. What favorite list? movies? Just favorite movies. Yeah, you can just from read off titles. Yeah, you know, you don't have to go into great detail or anything. No. From '85 or just yeah. and never, yeah. just from '85. Okay. Yeah. All right, all right. I'll start while Eric's. Yeah. All yeah, right. Because a lot of the titles <clears throat> we probably already mentioned too. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, my top fifteen: uh, fifteen Breakfast Club, fourteen Real Genius, thirteen Heaven Help Us. Really I underrated. I don't like that movie. Really? Yeah. Uh, it, having gone through the Catholic <clears throat> school system, oh, okay. No. I don't like that movie. Oh, okay. I, I I always I haven't seen that in forever. I always liked that movie. Yeah, uh, coming of age Catholic film. Um, uh, Twelve Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Eleven Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Ten Witness. Uh, I mean, this is a really hard list to make. It really is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, to have Mad Max at eleven. I mean, um, ten Witness. Uh, nine Reanimator. Eight Lost in America. Um, yeah. Another big, mm-hmm. another significant movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, seven. Uh, Akira Kurosawa's Ron. Uh, mm-hmm. Six. Uh, Fandango, a movie, another movie that uh, was a big deal for me because I, I felt like I discovered it. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody did, told Colin. me. You did. <laughs> I came across it on cable one year and or one day, and nobody. I don't think Siskel and Ebert reviewed it. I never saw an ad for it in the paper. Nobody knew I, I never knew this movie existed and I loved it. Did it has it gotten a proper DVD it's, release? It's on DVD. So it's on DVD. Okay. It is. So, yeah. Standalone. Standalone. Kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. Nothing but special. It's got a cult following and more. it's such mm-hmm. a great film. Uh, five, Blood Simple. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Coen Brothers. Four, Purple Rose of Cairo. Three, Back to the Future. Two, After Hours. And one, Brazil. Yeah. So, so as I mentioned earlier that I did not make an actual list because I was telling you that it's it's 1985 is so full of so many potential lists that you could make. <laughs> I mean, like I said, there are movies that obviously stand out and stand the course of time, and then there are movies that you can just watch whenever they're on cable and whatnot. Sure. You look at I'm just looking at like the box office list that you know Colin was rattling off earlier, and you know just I'm looking at, like you know all almost. All these movies are movies that I would stop if they were on cable. So I'll yeah. just, I'll just I'm remote just gonna, droppers as Nick would like. That's to say. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm just going to go through this and just the, pick the first ten titles that stand out as what I would think are the best. And if I reach ten, well, so be it. They should have made more money. <laughs> uh, but, so Back to the Future is obviously would be my number one. So if yeah. it, we just go down from there, uh, Witness would, mm-hmm. would be a, would be on my list. Uh, yada yada yada. Uh, well, let's mm, we say Breakfast Club. Mm, maybe let's let's put Breakfast Club in a pencil right now. Uh, yeah. See, then we go. We're still going down far and far to live and die in L.A. Mm-hmm. I, I would put I would put on my list. Uh, so let's put that there. And let's real real genius. I will put on the list uh, unapologetically. Uh, oh, Crush Groove. We didn't mention Crush Groove. Oh, we did not mention Crush Groove. How could Groove? you not ma- mention Crush Groove? Like I said, I didn't. I started with the summer. I didn't. Uh, go, yes, I didn't do the right. spring. So no, Crush Groove would not make my list. But Purple Rose of Cairo will. Uh, Lost in America will. Brazil will. Explorers will. Uh, I really need to see Runaway Train again. 
Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. I really need to see Runaway Me Train too. again. Um, and then is that ten? I will stop counting. Uh, it's pretty close. Yeah, let's just let's just stick with those. There's there's my list. And a lot of mine are pretty much just repeats, to yeah. be honest. Blood Simple. <laughs> you, you, well, no, I don't know. I don't know if Blood Simple would make my top ten or not. That that really holds up. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's great. But you know, you you start getting a nine and ten, and you do a lot of shuffling over time. So, whatever. Yeah, for the most part, for me, especially with Co- the Coen Brothers, anytime I'm watching one of their movies, I'm like, ah, this could be my favorite. Like it just intolerable cruelty. Well, Do you have that uh, no, reaction. No, no. <laughs> okay, I never rewatched that one. So, uh-huh. um, so fifteen for me would be Fright Night. I love it. What can I say? I unabashedly love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a bad remake too. Good uh, remake. Yeah, fourteen Witness. Thirteen, the stuff. I, I've, <laughs> it's a, it's one no. of those me and my dad movies. Okay, so okay. that explains why it's yeah. a little bit higher. Uh, Twelve is Pee Wee. Eleven, Real Genius. Ten, Fandango. That's a movie that sneaks up on you with its emotional impact. In the, really good in, movie in the yeah. last yeah. act. Uh, number nine, Reanimator. Number eight, To Live and Die in L.A. Oh my God, the car chase. Uh, number seven, Explorers. Number six, Purple Rose of Cairo. Five, Brazil. Four, Blood Simple. Three, Back to the Future. Two, Lost in America. And number one is Martin Scorsese's After Hours. Still my favorite Scorsese movie. Better than Goodfellas. Wow, that's crazy. That's I my um, favorite, too. Your favorite, too? Okay. Well, well it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's not crazy. <clears throat> that's that's maybe unfair. Maybe it's not better than Goodfellas, but it's my favorite. There you yeah. go. Okay. okay. I'm sorry. Fair No, nothing to apologize for. No. Nothing to apologize for. Wow, guys. That was that was fantastic. That, right. that was a great conversation. That, that was heavy. Was okay. it? Oh, look what you did there. <laughs> Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? I don't know. We should have done more of that. More yeah. cheesy line readings yeah. like that? We should have done more puns. I feel bad. All right. Well. All right. Is that it? What else is there? I don't know. Just seem we, like did, we did the list. It's, just, it's still light out. <laughs> that didn't seem like that. That was that long. Hmm. It's an hour and forty-five. Oh, okay. That, that, that's good enough. Okay, I think so. Yeah, I don't want it to be three hours long. No, that's hour. fine. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Um, well, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us. I should say. <laughs> I'm always happy to do this. Yeah. All right. Um, Colin, where yep. can we read more of your work or hear more from you? Or I mean, both of you guys um, are on WGN, of course. WGN mm-hmm. with Nick DeGilio every. Sunday morning or Monday morning, Sunday night, depending on how you look at it, 2 a.m. Um, Can't wait for his return. Yeah. Reviewing the movies. Um, I write a f- column about short films for rogerebert.com. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Great. Great column. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, uh, my uh, don't do much at rogerebert.com during the summer um, time, but I'll probably be, hopefully be back doing award stuff at the end of the year, but... Uh, uh, obviously, uh, WGN um, once a month with Sergio Mims on WHBK radio. Oh, I forgot about uh, that. Colin joins us uh, for that as well, and uh, occasionally throw something up at eFilm Critic when I have time. That's right. That's, I have no that's, time. That's, There's no time. I need 28 hour days, man. Exactly. I really need 28 hour days just so I can catch up on movies like do. Crush Groove and stuff. And, exactly. Yeah. You know. That way, I can finally watch Doctor Shivago. You'll, you'll need the extra four hours for Dr. Zhivago. Yeah. 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 Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Visit directorsclubpodcast.com. And uh, the next episode is going to be really interesting because I'm going to be talking with an 18-year-old filmmaker by the name of Ben Medina, which Colin is acquainted with. Yep. 
introduce former me to student him. of mine. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk Good about uh, kind of a fresh filmmaker uh, indie. I don't know. He's kind of Hal Hartley esque in a way. <laughs> um, Alex Ross Perry. So we're going to mainly dive into the recent wave of independent filmmaking and sort of talk about uh, like me and Earl and the Dying Girl and the Overnight. Just some of the more interesting independent films that have come out um, this past year. Movies that played the Chicago Critics Film Festival. Yes, yes. of course. <laughs> Can't wait that for that. Cal and I are very intimately involved with. Absolutely. Always a good time. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And you know what? I don't know. If you happen to hear this within the next couple of days, and if you're in the Chicagoland area, stop by which theater for a Back to the Future screening? Uh, Eric? The Elk Grove Cinema off of Arlington Heights Road. I will be doing a 30th anniversary uh, Q&A and discussion. If you liked some of the facts and f- things that I was talking about, I'm going to talk a lot about that stuff uh, at the screening at <laughs> 1 o'clock and uh, 7 o'clock. You get to see the, the movie on the big screen, time for his 30th anniversary, and uh, we'll have a fun discussion, I promise. Great, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so that's all. Thanks, guys, so much for being on the show. It's fun. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Hey you, get your damn hands off her!